0: But I think the I mean, the reception for uh, um, Romance of the Perilous... I've got the name right, Romance of the Perilous... I'll edit this out. Hang on, where's my book so I can read it? Hang on a second. <laughs> Romance <laughs> of the Perilous Land. Romance of the Perilous Land. <laughs> La- Look, I have got it. Here he right it, 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 it. Hi, this is Steve, a.k.a. at Allanthar on Twitter, and here are some more of my gaming vexes. Welcome to another episode of My Gaming Vexes. Although this podcast is mainly intended to document my ongoing mission to run or at least play all of the games that I've purchased in hard copy, PDFs don't count. I'm not entirely off Morocco. This time we've got something a little bit different. Dedicated listeners will know we're sometimes able to con, I mean convince, otherwise reputable gaming luminaries onto the show to talk about their games. In episode eight, we spoke to Paul Baldowski about his then-upcoming d Kickstarter. And in episode 11, Paul Michener joined us to give a taste of his Out of the Ashes game. Episode 13 saw us chatting with Grant Howitt about Spire, a game which had become a fast podcast favourite over the preceding few months. Evidently, we hadn't scared Paul Michener off as episode 19 saw him return, this time in the company of Becky Anderson, who came along to tell us about the Fantastic Whirls of Britain supplement for Paul's liminal RPG. We've had a bit of a gap in tormenting RPG authors, So when I saw that Scott Malthouse, author of Romance, of The Perilous Land, amongst other things, was producing a game taking inspiration from the music of Ronnie James Dio and the fiction of Jack Vance, I was all in. In the summer of 1985, when I bought my first ever copy of White Dwarf, issue 66, at the grand old age of 17, Dio's amazing songs were never far from my turntable, whether as vocalist on Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell, or Mob Rules albums, or as part of his own band, Dio. On the same holiday to the Forest of Dean that I bought that first issue of White Dwarf, I also purchased fancy's Kugel the Clever, kicking off a fascination with the dying earth that has never left me. So, I'm really thrilled to be joined by Scott on this episode to talk about his game Stargazer, as well as other aspects of his gaming life. Scott is also ably tormented by fellow Dio fan Sam, and amused, or should that be bemused, non-metal heads Neil and Dave. Thanks again chaps, as always. Before we get into that, though, we've had another review on that iTunes. It's been said on other podcasts, but it really does mean a lot when a podcaster receives some positive feedback on what they're doing. Rather than read the review out myself, though, I asked our
1: reviewer onto the show. Take it away, Mike. Hi, this is Mikey Demon Samurai. You'll find me on Twitter at HP Demon Samurai. I, I really love this podcast. Its format, to me, feels like that venerable British institution match of the day. It's got everything. Highlights, deep analysis, commentary by a collection of the learned elder Grognard community. Sometimes there'll be segments of play, They'll look at system strengths and weaknesses, and the whole thing is moderated by our most reasonable presenter, Steve Orlonthar himself. And the whole thing comes complete with a pleasant Collection of Regional Accents. One of the things I also like about the podcast is he doesn't tie it to a monthly release date. It seems to come out haphazardly when he's got something to say or when he's got something to share. And I, I kind of really like that kind of little detail. So whatever you're doing, Steve, just keep doing it and uh, I'll really enjoy it. Thanks very much.
0: Thanks for the kind words, Mike. I particularly like that you managed to turn my uh, <clears throat> eclectic release schedule into a positive. As they say, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Finally, before we dive into the discussion with Scott, we've had some feedback on episode 26, where we covered our experiences with the Red Market RPG.
2: Hi Steve, it's uh, Graham Kinneber here. Um, I'm possibly known to some of your uh, listeners as um, as Kenny Graham on some of the gaming forums we would mutually frequent. Anyway, I noticed that there'd been um, no voice contributions to the podcast recently, um, so I thought I'd put that right and um, send some of my uh, sort of random thoughts, uh, observations uh, on red markets, which was the subject of uh, uh, certainly the last um, podcast I, um, I listened to. Um, I was uh, definitely intrigued to hear that you were going to be covering the game Um a, because uh, uh, I like like my horror and uh, I like zombies as a, as a sub-genre of horror, so it's always interesting to see how uh, RPGs um, approach uh, approach zombies uh, as a genre, or, or perhaps, should I say, casualties in this case. And um, I also uh, was aware of Caleb Stokes as an author, um, particularly through his um, uh, reputation within the Delta community. Um, Caleb uh, has written um, at least one scenario and I believe there's a, there's a a forthcoming campaign coming out. But certainly the scenario that's, that he's published, um, Lover and Ice, uh, enjoys a, a sort of fragrant reputation as being one of the, the nastier scenarios even by Delta Green standards. So I was certainly intrigued to see how he would handle uh, the zombie genre. Well, um, sort of long story short, I definitely enjoyed the, the episode. I was really intrigued um, to learn what I did about Red Markets. And um, so much so that, as you know, I ended up uh, joining the game. You decided to run at the recent uh, Grob Meat, um con event in Manchester. Um, so between listening to your podcast and uh, getting to play in that scenario, uh, I certainly got a, a great feel for, um, for Red Markets. I take the point that perhaps uh, some of the systems and some of the overall feel of the game might not uh, emerge until you've played a a, a long campaign. But certainly, I felt as if I got a good insight into the game, really enjoyed it, and and wanted to thank you for that. So, um, uh, certainly intrigued by uh, Red Markets and um, interested in in perhaps learning more. Although, I do note that um, at the minute it's quite hard to find a hard copy. Of the rules, so hopefully that's something they'll remedy in the near future. Um, one other thing um, I sort of learned, um, sort of researching, <laughs> researching, this little contribution, was that Caleb um, uh, does seem to be fascinated by economics and perhaps how they can use to underpin the game. So uh, I noticed that on Drive Through RPG, he has um, a collection called um, No Security, um, and it's horror scenarios set in the Great Depression. So I think they'd be very sort of Call of Cthulhu um, adjacent or um, useful for games like Call of Cthulhu or Trail of Cthulhu. Um, I think they're they're, they're systemless, but um, the overall themes to be the overall theme seems to be set in the Great Depression and the this, um, the economic bite of that um, underpinning the the horror of the scenarios. So I think I'll check those out. They seem they seem quite interesting. The other thing I note um, maybe is that uh, uh, um, Caleb perhaps. Um, pinched the term casualties um, rather than zombies for his game. He perhaps pinched the casualties from Delta Green as well because uh, part of the, the backdrop of that um, uh, had, um, I think it was either uh, Russians or Germans on the, the Eastern Front in World War 2 uh, referring to um, uh, reanimated corpses, shall we say, zombies, for want of a better term, as resuscitated casualties. So I wonder if kills pinched that for Red Markets uh, and finally, I'm just wondering about the overall influence of red markets as they come out. Um, I was um, I was reading the Alien RPG uh, recently, and, and got to thinking about how they have made um, some resources um, quite important in that. So you've got the importance of air, food, power, and water as a resource, and um, uh, they're not just treated as sort of simple rations the way sort of other RPGs might. And I also notice the way that the game uh, time structure is regulated in shifts. So it's all about the the economic uh, input and work of the sort of downtrodden members of the sort of alien universe. Um, The men and women that are exploited by the companies or the man, so to speak. So um, I've got no reason for saying it, but I suspect that it might. An influence of something like red markets. but certainly uh, uh, interesting to see that emerging. But yeah, so just want to thank you overall. Uh um Red Red Market's really interesting, like I say. Thoroughly enjoyed the game, uh, wanted to learn more. And um just want to say thanks again for uh the ongoing uh of um 3X's Gaming Fixes as a podcast. Uh, always look forward to hearing it. So uh, looking forward to the next one and um hopefully catch up soon. Bye.
0: Thanks, Graham glad you enjoyed the episode and the one shot of grog meat. it's definitely a game that repays campaign play but i think you'll agree that it works as a one shot too negotiation mechanic and all so with that on to the main event get ready <music> Thanks everyone for, for joining. So, yeah. do a quick round of introductions. So, Scott, do you want to tell us a little bit about who are you? Just Ooh. we'll come to a bit more about your um, earth, body of work Ooh. in a second. But what we we'll go with, I like your accent. What we'll go with <laughs> is um, who are you? What's your Twitter handle? And what's the most metal thing you've ever seen or done? So, <laughs>
3: Scott Malthouse, Uh and I'm at uh, Trollish Deliver on Twitter. And uh, I don't know the the most metal thing I've seen is I mean it, I mean I've been to a lot of metal shows lots lots of festivals and things but it's it's still always going to have to be any Iron Maiden gig they might not even call themselves metal really it's more kind of I guess hard rock but it is I think the particularly the last show that they did with the flamethrowers and <laughs> yeah it's great
0: mm-hmm. uh, it might be controversial I think they they verge on prog with some of their albums to be honest they they,
4: they do yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, there you go. All right. So Iron Maiden, the most metal. Okay, Sam.
4: Hello, Sam. Sam Zero Vale on Twitter. Most metal thing I've ever done was uh, I went to Castle Donington Monsters of Rock 1983.
0: Monsters of Rock. Monsters of, of Rock.
4: <laughs> that was uh, a couple of mates. I was age 16, just out of secondary school. Uh, we went to see. I said we went to see Dio, but uh, uh, White Snake were headlining that year, which was classy. Um, Twisted Sister, Diamond Head, who else? ZZ Top and Meatloaf were on the bill. I didn't see Meatloaf. But that's the most metal <laughs> thing I remember. I remember the most metal thing was being hit by bottles of piss that were flying around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's the thing that happens.
5: <laughs> yeah. uh, Dave Patterson, uh, at Dave Patterson on Twitter. Uh, the most metal thing I've ever done. Uh, it's not quite metal, I don't think, but I went to one of my first gigs I ever went to was the Anti-Nowhere League in the angel rooms in Tunbridge, which was clearly like Madison Square Gardens, really. And I uh, I slipped over in a pool of phlo- phlegm that they'd been gobbing at the uh, at the band all night and uh, thought I was going to get trampled to death when about seven-foot-tall black fellow with a massive green mohegan, picked me up, dusted me off and sort of pushed me on my way. That
0: was it. Yeah. On your way, and yeah, I imagine anti-noel league were pretty. Um, that was pretty brutal. Loud. I can imagine. Yes,
5: I can imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, and and uh, similar to Sam, the piss flowed <laughs> frequently uh, into bottles
6: and jars and got thrown over the head.
0: Yeah. Yeah, enough about our problems as aging men. So there you go. Right. Anyway, <laughs> so Neil, <laughs> what about you?
6: Uh, I, I'm guessing I'm. I may be the least metal. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I was going to say. Uh, Falling flat on my face, drunk. I thought that was a pretty metal thing to do once, but uh, probably music-wise. So I, I do quite like Led Zeppelin. I'm, I'm I say, not a ma- massive metal fan at all, but like Led Zeppelin a lot. Uh, and I saw Robert Plant once. Uh, the weird thing was, it was a, uh, it was actually at a folk festival. So uh, that that probably detracts from the metalness of it, I imagine. But he was really good.
0: Another one? Yeah, go on.
5: I was Roger Daltrey's paper boy. <laughs>
0: that's 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 fair. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we'll go with oh. that. They're pretty good as well. The who we like. Who? Them. But uh, the most metal thing I've ever done. So like you, Scott, went to loads of uh, metal gigs, but probably not so much for the last sort of four or five years. But I went to see a band called um, I went to JB's in Dudley, which is like used to be a sort of real rock place. And I went to see a band called Wolf. Anyway, I pulled about the back, and uh, they, they were always pretty hot on parking around there. So I went wandering around the back of JB's in Dudley and sort of opened fire door, opened it up, and I saw these guys sitting there, just they're just like metalheads like everybody else. And I said, uh, You got any, any change to the parking? And they said, uh, these, these guys said, Ooh, Yes, in a Swedish accent, which I'm going to try and do. Um, they sort of said, "They said here, are, here's the here's the cash. Don't worry about the giving us the change." Well, very nice, and went off. Anyway, when I turned up, it's actually the band that I'd borrowed <laughs> the, the money off to park to go yeah. and see them. So and they were great, actually. They were great. Sorry, so wow. 2009. He's all, These right, all
5: a bit sort of like. Geriatric reminiscences. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. How geriatric metal are you? <laughs> do, do, you th- do
6: you think he just felt sorry for you, Steve? Is,
5: Probably.
6: Was because you know?
5: yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. my, my hairline was pretty much like it is now, which is uh, non-existent. So, but I'm, I'm well, here well, on he the inside. Have, so That counts. You must have a condition. Let's be nice to him. Let's <laughs> be nice to. Him. Yeah, it's not the first or the last time that's been said either. Okay, all right. So, Scott. So over to you now. So a little bit about maybe about your, your history with tabletop role-playing games. We've mm-hmm. established your, your your metal credentials. And yeah, a little bit about the sort of stuff that you've you've been written and then we'll we'll move on to Stargazer. So when did you first start playing?
5: Oh
3: um I I mean I guess probably fighting fantasy I guess if you can kind of call it that. Yeah. Rob solo roleplay, I guess. You know when I, I mean, th- those were when I was in school. They they had those on kind of the the bookshelves, and you know would take those out. But I think properly it would be third edition D and D when that first came out. I was kind of playing that as well as the uh the kind of the black box it's like the basic black box as well, um, which was weird to play both of them at this kind of the same time because they were so so different, especially to my young mind i, yes, I had no idea what different. i was
1: doing
0: so,
3: so I, I kind of got into that and then uh you know played sort of fourth, fourth edition D and then kind of got caught up in lots of different uh games starting with a lot of the d20 games spycraft and uh star wars d20 and, and things like that and kind of brought kind of expanded a little bit out from there really um definitely so really got into university. it you yeah
0: going to on the, time the D20 explosion when there were just zillions
3: of books just being produced just a million books a day <laughs> um which is probably not too dissimilar to what's happening now to be honest. Uh, yeah. apart from PDFs um but I, I started putting stuff out back in 2011 uh my okay. first my first thing was for uh it was a little adventure for tunnels and trolls that then kind of led me to just putting out my first little system uh this mm-hmm. was I think I mean, I don't think it was before Drive Through. I think it was around the time that Drive Through was just kind of started to get, you know, relatively no- noted. I guess so. I put a game out called USR, Unbelievably mm-hmm. Simple Role Playing, on a site called. Uh, one thousand typewriters, one thousand monkeys. Uh, yeah, I, but, saw, I saw
0: Neil recognise that when you talked about unbelievable <laughs> simple role playing, so I could see a bit of a nod there.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, and and then you know some people kind of commented on on that side and said, "Ah, eh, quite like this." Like, oh, that's quite gratifying. And and uh, I was just kind of putting bits and pieces out on 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 drive through, really. And then um, yeah, it kind of it kind of took off from there. I, I ended I'm um, doing bits for uh, putting a book out for Osprey Games. Uh, yeah, sort of
0: Paris Land. That's right. That's the first time I sort of became aware of you as a as an author. Hey! in fact, Dave's holding my copy over here is on the shelf. So there we go. <laughs> it's on, it's on the to be played pile. I haven't got ready to it, unfortunately.
3: <laughs> so th- that was uh, you know that was that was amazing. That was after kind of putting out uh, Quill, the uh, mm. solo role playing game. But kind of, this this was a little bit back when that wasn't necessarily much of a thing. It's just uh, 2016 January yeah it, it, i think it was a it was something that was a little bit of a, a novelty for people i think if you look at say itch now or mm. or drive through there are there are hundreds of them and it's great lots and lots. so many uh kind of amazing innovative games out there and but i i just kind of happened to be early on i think i think mm. I, I mentioned this on, on twitter a few a few weeks ago i think i don't mm. necessarily think Uh, something like quill would necessarily get a look in now because it's i mean for for what it is it is fairly basic it's Mm. you know compared to some of the wild ideas that are going on now it's not as novel i guess but so yeah i kind of osprey there's kind of a lucky a little bit of a lucky break that i got there with joseph culloch who you know, Frostgrave and and all kind of all those games. He was a, a bit of a Quill fan, and he got me in touch with the line editor uh, over Osprey Games, who were just creating their first line of, of role yeah. playing games. It was a little bit of an experiment, so there was a lot of from their side of it, a lot of boardroom dealings in actually how do you sell uh, a role playing line to a publisher who ostensibly had been publishing war games and of Excited, course
0: war games and, and pretty pictures and books and that sort of thing yeah yeah
3: exactly uh, but fortunately it, it, it kind of all took off and it seems to be doing really well for them um you know they've got a really nice stable of creators now and, and games coming out um in really kind of these really nice high quality yeah, digest size right. hardbacks amazing artists on there and layout designers and editors and it's you know
0: that must have been really you know satisfying after putting stuff out that was obviously on drive through. you know mm. you're creating it and it's it's getting you know traction but then so to have a, a book published by you know a real you know big publishing house like Osprey and again you know to, sort of to be able to see uh, the fruits of your efforts in, in a hard copy must be amazing
3: yeah I was a bit like what is this, <laughs> is this
0: has is it got the right person <laughs> 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 but the reception, I think, was, was, was really good. as you say, alongside other things like, you know, I think Jackals, obviously, is not yours, but Jackals has done very well. So we'll, perhaps we'll come, we'll come on a little bit later on to talk about hopefully some of the other stuff that you're going to be coming out with. We're going to throw it open to the, to the other guys now because we've got some, some questions about, because we couldn't talk about Stargazer. So, I mean, when I saw this on Twitter, it's a, a, an old school game. It's influenced by Dio, tick, yes please, and Jack Vance, double tick. Yes, definitely. Okay, so obviously that's that really sort of piqued my interest.
6: I got a few questions, but but we'll do this one first. So, so I, I, you know, I I know you're a, a prolific uh, game designer, and I, I'm just thinking about this, like the process of this. Well, which came first, Vance' idea, the Do' idea? Had you already started a game and you were looking for something? How, how did it come together? I guess It
3: actually just came from uh, a little couplet from the lyrics of of the song stargazer rainbow which is there's no sun in the shadow of the wizard see how he glides why he's lighter than air and that conjures quite an interesting image i think and i think a lot of you know going through dio's uh, lyrics there's uh, even kind of with Black Sabbath and his own own band, there's a lot of sort of allusions to the sun going black and and things like that. And immediately for me, for one, I've always quite liked the idea of doing something kind of role play with Dio because I think he, you know, he created these uh, amazing imaginary worlds, these kind of medieval songs and lots of different kind of medieval themes and i mean it's very D really but also just those lyrics from stargazer kind of made me think of jack vance it made me think of a dying Earth, the sun's in its last gasp it's about to be extinguished and i, I really like vance um I, I'm, I'm no kind of expert or anything I, I just really like the way that he tells stories and his use of language and actually i think there's actually similarities between vance and dio and i thought okay i need to get this down in some way a lot a lot of the time when i'm if unless i'm being kind of unless i have a brief to go with and i'm being commissioned to do something um, a lot of the time i'll sit down and just kind of pants it so no real planning aside from hey I, I i like these lyrics um i also wanted to do something because it, it, again with jack vance it feels it would feel bizarre not to do a, a no shade on p- Pelgrim pe- presses mm. uh, dying earth but it would feel weird not to do a essentially an old school sort of dnd uh rendition of it because uh, you know fancy and magic and sort of his use of language and, uh, and things like that. So it, it kind of felt natural for me to do something that was in the spirit of BX um, and ODMD and using sort of similar rules to um, my other very, very short rules like in Heartseeker, which is trying to essentially distill all of the, all of BX down to a... Essentially, a almost a one page um, role playing game, but add in these elements that are a little bit more DOS or Jack Vance esque, and kind of put put that together. So it really just spawned from from thinking of lyrics, and then what would a kind of a a game look like based on that?
0: Have you got like a, a home group that you that you play with and play test with, and that sort of thing?
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, it, I, because this was sort of using the chassis of Heartseeker, mm. um, there wasn't a whole lot changed. There there was some in terms of um, having these almost subclasses, but based around your subclasses, your skills, essentially. And mm. so, it, you know, I, I kind of tested it that way. And the rest of it was very much about flavor and, you know, having magic that was slightly different. It was based around wizards were finding black discs in the ground. Everything's based, you know, a thousand years in the f- thousands, of thousands of years in the future. The finding black discs in the ground on those black discs is the kind of the music that helps them unlock their um, their magical potential. And essentially, they are Dio albums or their Black Sabbath albums that they're finding. Uh, you know, uh, the further you go down into dungeons, that you, you're going down through the past. You're eventually getting to 1984 uh, and you're finding, you know, Holy Dive down there.
0: Brilliant. Anyway, I'm going to throw it open to, to, to Sam now because I know Sam's probably got a whole list of questions Yeah, as a massive Dio fan.
4: Massive Dio fan, but not quite so keen on the OSR style of play. However, <laughs> my, my question was basically about religion because, as you know, a large portion of Dio's lyrics are concerned with faith and religion, heaven and hell, uh, demons and angels, that sort of thing. Uh, there are mentions of in the book of priests of sound and priests of silence, fallen um, angels as well, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's there's no reference to how religion works or any holy character classes. Was that a conscious decision on your part?
3: Yeah, so I guess you're right. There's this. Um, I think Dio has this almost Blakean view of of heaven and hell. Um, I think every when it, whenever he's done interviews uh, around say the song heaven and hell on the album, it's been around. Well, it's about humanity um, and heaven and hell being what you do and inside you. The the kind of little takeaway that I wanted to kind of put into Stargazer was more around the philosophy that Dio has ten that that kind of runs throughout his work. Um, you know, from really the the rainbow era uh, onwards which is about this life being this never ending wheel um that things are cyclical that uh, the you know the in this case the priests of sound here uh, believe that it, he's talking about the once the sun dies it's going to be reborn again and everything's going to be be back while the priests of silence um, believe that these portents are more about the end of the world and actually um the music is So, I guess for a little bit of background, in the air there is always music. There's, there's this. There are just Dio songs playing all the time. Just and and Dave
0: looks looks horrified.
3: You have to (laughs) listen out for them because they just carry on the bit. And and uh, different sects have taken portents of those. uh, And the priests of silence are, are more about. Well, this they believe that this is actually ending the world. So, yeah, it's it's more about the. The kind of life being this never-ending wheel philosophy that he he does include in a lot of his his lyrics and his words.
4: Absolutely, there's a lot of that. Mm. This is all all in the settings section of the the Stargazer book, but that's only one page. I I, I could have done with 20, 30 pages of that <laughs> extra stuff. You need to start writing some more of that stuff, Scott, because that's <laughs> I'd lap that sort of stuff up. How well, how a campaign yeah. would work?
3: Yeah, well, exactly, and actually, so when i was writing this i kind of thought well I, I didn't want it to be this this huge book to really begin with i think one of the things that i wanted to do was have the implied setting so some of that is in kind of the whatever characters that you roll and personality traits and things like that and origins um you can come from the silver mountain which is a, kind of a uh, rainbow song um but also in the mechanics as well or the uh whatever what you're rewarded for so for XP, you're getting XP not necessarily from fighting or anything, but from I mean treasure, which is a, a very obviously common BX and old kind of old school D D thing. Um, but also finding new locations and meeting new people and you know, winning something with gusto and that that kind of and also having no while it has treasure, it doesn't have a monetary system everything's kind of barter or it's trade and actually your value is based around what treasure you've got if you've got a really nice um i don't know silk cloak or something um you might be a, a, a member of the the nobility and that that's just it's not necessarily explicitly spelled out but it's more intrinsic in the mechanics of it but i guess to your point something i do want to do is eke out a little bit more of that of that setting uh in a in another supplement that i've got coming up so um that's going to go a little bit more into detail about some of the locations like the belty Wilds and frostlands of Zur and things like that and that was just kind of me thinking oh what what was kind of vancian sounding or almost like dunsany if everybody's if kind of familiar with lord mm-hmm. dunsany and actually he and Vance have very similar styles, uh, this kind of very enchanting poetic way of of writing. And and a little bit more about the yeah, the, the setting and the priests and the, the wild lands and, and things like that and the creatures. Cause that's another thing I, I suppose, looking at the, the creatures and seeing you know, this is the kind of world that, that it is, where you've got these, like the rhinos, the the most wise creatures in in the world, and these strange rhinos. And
0: where did that come from? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know. I was, was <laughs> some stuff. You came um, from somewhere. <laughs> yeah.
5: So I was I was interested to know sort of why why have did you chosen I guess you've answered some of it some of the answers that you've given to those but why did you choose somebody like Dio as opposed to you know someone possibly a little bit more aligned to fantasy like Jethro Tull or uh, or indeed Steps? <laughs> why, uh,
3: yeah, I mean I think uh, I guess going to the the black metal point and and also doom that is very much in in vogue i think mm. uh i think you know Merkborg has really brought that to the fore this is yep. the this is the doom metal the black metal death metal kind of game and you know the art reflects that, and the and the the sort of pu- cross punk style that it's all in uh, reflects that with dio it, it's more i, I suppose it's, it is more about those lyrics and his. As I say, he—I I think his world that he creates just resonates really well with Jack Vance and also kind of other Dying Earth, like um, Gene Wolfe, and mm. uh, and also just general pulp as well, like pulp fantasy. It's—it's it's not. I think maybe Jethro. I've—I've I've not. I've, I think I've only listened to Aquilon really uh, from <gasps> Jethro. Um, you should listen to Broadsword
0: and the Beast we're
5: gonna to have to tar and feather you now <laughs> i was on a slightly different more more of the sort of the jack vance bit one one uh set of books i've always thought would would work really well for a fantasy game were the, uh, there's alan dean foster's spell singer books do you know those where literally this guy is transported, he plays the bass. I think doesn't that's he? that's right,
0: right. The guy who plays guitar, that's right. He's just tra- yeah. It was in the eighties, and he used to bring out these series of books. And there were always five yeah. of them. <laughs> so the other Dean Foster one was was a set of five, and and the, the guy was transported to a another planet, into the world, and he was. He had his guitar, so he basically played a metal guitar, and it sort of, you know, generated magic. So I incredible. thought
5: that would have worked quite well,
6: but that, <laughs> yeah, that would. The, the, the problem with
0: it is, wasn't it
6: a world full of anthropomorphic animals? Yes,
0: it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so it might so have so been you,
6: a touch, touch Twee. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> a bit. Me off.
6: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
5: good. The one thing I do really like about it is it's incredibly compact, and you know, literally. One read through, bump you away. Yeah, Was that a sort of a, a one of the things you're looking to, to achieve. I, I quite like very compact games.
3: Um, if you've seen kind of most of the stuff that I do, is very it's very compact, and part of that is just a little yeah. bit of a challenge to see how much I can really get in a very short space, and just yeah. with clarity, and th- that I can kind of hopefully achieve. And also, I think it's important to to be able to just have a little bit of a pick up and play game. So, especially if yeah. you know, you know, you might have having a, a pathfinder night or something, and somebody can't can't come. Well, instead of carrying on without them in, in a game that's you know quite balanced for a, a certain number of players, you can pick out you know a game like Stargazer or Heartseeker or um, any kind of In Darkest Warrens, any kind of those kind of games, and get playing. Really, even if even if it's just there on your desktop and you've never looked at it before, you could open it and go okay, I, I kind of understand this. The The challenge comes with, I guess, being original with it because the, the great thing about tropes is that you could do something that's fairly, fairly tight. You could do a one-page RPG. And if you rely on tropes, it means that everyone's going to get exactly what you mean. Like if I know, you know, if I do something with, Dwarf, elf, fighter, whatever—that's already that's in the kind of gaming lexicon at the moment. Everybody knows what that is. Everybody knows if uh, you know it's, you a, it's a shortcut. It, basically, a, yeah, exactly. A minotaur is a minotaur. I don't have to explain that. I don't have to use word count to to do that. So it makes it a little bit more challenging, I think, to do something that's really original. But I think the kind of the the way around this uh, in this case is that well you know for people who know dio automatically they kind of they 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 kind of understand all of Jack Vance. they might understand the, the that kind of world and that feel but whereas you know i think anybody coming to this who may not know uh, dio then hopefully they can get something out of it in that it's a a slightly weird little game with just some strange little ideas
0: is it the sort of games that you like you prefer to play the sort of the more simple ones or do you like this sort of slightly more involved crunchy type stuff
3: uh i like all flavors of the ice cream <laughs> um i like yeah i really I, I like playing kind of these pick up very rules like games and, and getting games of those something that you can be very fluid with that you can make up rulings on the spot and th- those some of the best games i think um that i've ever had have come from those kind of kind of games um but i mean my i've been playing pathfinder for well well over a decade now and you know play pathfinder second edition as the the sort of our main game um the 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 guy who we've been playing with for over a decade he's created path builder which is now a very sort of well thought of character creation app um Uh, and I really, I really like the kind of the crunch as well. I, I like kind of getting into the weeds of things, and as long as it's not, as long as it doesn't have lots of different subsystems that kind of don't make sense, I think that's where things start to fall apart. You can be elegant, and you can, but you can have a lot of heft to your rules. You can have lots of rules, but as long as they work together and and it's elegant, then that's that's great. And I think Pathfinder Second Edition for me does that. Uh and uh, you know there's there's quite a few other games like against the Dark Master. Um I really love yeah, you've been a, writing
0: for not you yeah against yeah, the Dark and
3: and you know I never really play I you know I i had Middle earth role playing uh I, I got kind of into that a while you're ago. are and, no. and <laughs> but that and that is you know it's quite I mean it's not as crunchy as Raw Master, but he's still you know, pretty uh pretty mm. tough going, I think. But I think the way that Against the Dark Master works is they've they've kept that heft to it, but they've made it a little more elegant and maybe borrowed a few more mechanics from Just other games. It bit, haven't they? Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit more up to date, a little bit more polished, I think.
0: Yeah. Probably a lot easier to play over a, a virtual tabletop because Spoundry have got a decent system for Against the Dark Master, which is oh, yeah. pretty, uh, pretty good. So, yeah. It, yeah,
3: he does, yeah. It's a massive tome as well. It is. It's lovely. Mm. <laughs>
0: it's on my shelf. <laughs> yeah, again, on the list to be played. Of, of course it's on your shelf, Steve. <laughs> yeah, you see where his
3: shelf's just bowing down. That's where it is. It's <laughs> on exactly.
0: it the end. It's
4: on the end. <laughs> I've got a quick question. Um, I, I know Dragons and Rainbows, are mentioned a huge amount in in his lyrics. Um, I was surprised there wasn't a dragon in the creature section. Why did you leave dragons out?
0: I I just kind of (laughs) and circles and rings and (laughs) and kings.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I did. I did think "Hmm, should I put a dragon in it? But then I think dragons sitting alongside like holy divers and neon knights, and I don't know. It felt a little too. T- too much traditional fantasy to put in there but maybe there's a kind of a way to to make it a little bit well you can the rules you, you there, can there, the there is a, yeah well there is a dragon in it and that's the hunger worm so that is a flightless dragon with two brains one peaceful and one tyrannical
4: yeah
6: i mean i mean the other option is just go and pick up a copy of bx D or any other uh, D that have a million dragons in yeah
3: <laughs> so so well this is the other thing uh, as well and the recent kind of Another reason why it's, I guess, this compact game is that it's you can use it with BX just straight off the bat. So you can just pull in, you know, I mean, my preferred BX is is old school essentials. Um, and you know, you can just pick out anything from old school essentials and give it a weird name and maybe give it some strange little uh, extra wings or proboscuses or or something. And is you know, Bob's your uncle. You've got a, a strange new creature.
6: I I wanted to ask about mentioned before a prolific great game designer and, and i know like i've never had any inclination to to write a game because I, I know there's so many other people do it better than me but i just wonder like where does that come from you know i like i've been twitter saturday afternoon and you'll be like it's raining outside i'm bored i'm gonna write a game and i'm just thinking like you know where, where does that come from what what kind of what drives that i guess
3: masochism i think it's yeah. awful Ryan games. Um, I don't know. I, I when I was um I mean maybe sort of eight, nine, and just getting into uh Warhammer, uh and I was into Fighting Fantasy, um, I had a little blue book and in that I would just sort of make any kind of game. So it could be kind of card games or uh, like little, ro- little role-playing games that made absolutely no sense. So nothing much has changed there, to be honest. That
0: sounds like my GMing style <laughs> stuff in style. I think it's something that makes no sense. <laughs> just
3: whatever. It's just, I don't know what it was. But I really like doing that. You know, it was just quite fun just putting these little designs together. And I, I did one where um I went to school and I had this uh, A3 piece of paper. And on that, I kind of drew this like, world. And I asked my friend, I said, right, to a few of my friends right you've got sections of this world and things are going to happen happen sort of throughout the week and we've got tables to roll on and, and things like that and you say where your little troops move and things like that and kind of almost like little war gamey type thing and i sort of enjoyed doing that um it was rubbish but really enjoyed doing it but one of the things it does is, is really relax me
1: mm.
3: i just really like sitting down and writing um and thinking of little little mechanics my note. Uh, I mean, the the best app ever is uh, the Keep Notes uh, on yeah. on my little Android thing here, and uh, there's there's a graveyard of of ideas and, <laughs> and 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 games and things. And often I'll I'll kind of start writing something and I'll just kill it because I'll get to the end of it. And there's so many half finished or fully finished games I've got that I just ah won't see the light of day i just don't like them anymore i'll get bored <laughs>
5: just throw
3: them out or uh, or whatever um so sometimes it has to be that the fire of the moment that i've just got to write okay i've got this idea in my head i've got to get it down i've got to get some friends together and we're gonna play it a little bit and then um we'll kind of tweak it as we as we go really um yeah. but yeah it's just uh know. Anyway, it's a strange compulsion i think that yeah. i think it might be medical
6: yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like that's always since you first discovered games. That's always been with you. That that way of thinking, and and, yeah. and you know that's that's just it's just like if you say part of you, and it's 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 probably will be until uh, yeah, un- until the end, as it were. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and thank God people do write all these bloody games because we yeah. we get to play them, don't we? So. Yeah, yeah,
5: absolutely. Yeah, they they get to sit on the shelf for quite a while, some of them. But uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually going to ask Scott, did you sort of do you, when you have not only this obviously things like Romance the Paris Land and so on? Do you sort of have in your mind who you think is going to be playing it or who you think is going to be sort of excited for? It? I mean, is this Dio fans? Is yeah. it metal fans? Or sort of,
3: yeah. A, a little bit and some some games not not really i think with quill i i did kind of did that for me just as a little challenge just to kind of make a a game that's about letter writing but make it solo um and for for some reason that was one that people kind of latched on to i'm not still not entirely sure why but with say romance that was more okay well i know that people who are really into folklore specifically british folklore and Arthurian myth um, I'm sure they'll get a little bit of a kick out of that. You know, yeah. yeah, with Stargazer, it was, you know, there's that Venn diagram of gaming and, and metal, isn't there? There's, I think there's kind of always been there, and it plays into that a little bit. English Eerie, which is very much about creating uh, narratives born by M.R. James, mm-hmm. Algernon Blackwood, Arthur Marken, that that kind of thing people who really like those kind of like me who really like ghost stories and, you know, to be able to kind of create one. So in in a way I do, but to be honest, most of it is just because I quite like the idea of it. Mm. So I'll just write it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Makes sense.
0: So with um, Stargazer, it sounds like it's coming out as a bit of a part work, really. So Obviously (laughs) you put out the, the base game there. It sounds like you've got some plans for some expansions. I mean, but Obviously, there's an the element of you throw these things out there, and, and you hope the response is going to be good. I mean, what's the response like? Being like to Stargazer?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been good. I mean, it's got some some good reviews. Uh, people being interested, like yourself, to to kind of talk to to be about this is great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, th- there's been a few people who just want to kind of talk about it because they really like Dio, um, yeah. which is great because that's part of the reason why i put it together because like oh i really i'm a big dio fan i want to put it together so um yeah i think on the whole it's 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 been good you know it's not exactly taking off like it's not mogborg or anything but that's fine i just want people to enjoy it and you know even if that's 10 people liking it that's fine 10 people having a good time is more than enough for me um you know just
0: it increases the amount of fun in the world which is always a good thing uh, especially yeah net net more fun. than ever yeah <laughs> but it sounds as though you, you're encouraged enough to think about, you know, what the the future might hold for Stargazer. So you sort of talked about a little bit about maybe sort of a bit of a set-in book. And we talked, I mentioned earlier on about, you know, almost like a campaign. So it's a sort of game where you need to think about or need to have an insight into how the designer sees the game playing. Because yeah. you read it on, on paper and it's, yeah, okay. It's, it's you know, it's it's an old school role-playing game, but the, it only comes alive in play, like all these things. Yeah. So, have you got any thoughts on, around that uh, that line? How, how, how do you make your game Dio, and are you, you going to put together a, a grand campaign for it?
3: <laughs> um, well, as I said before, I'm a panzer, so I have <laughs> sort of noted down ideas, but whether those will be the same when it comes to actually writing them on, I'm not entirely sure. Um, you know, I, I, as you say, I want to do a, a little bit of a kind of a setting book, probably not too, not too big, but um, something that you know brings the Setting alive a little bit, um, mm. and it's maybe have map. some hooks in there. Yeah, a nice map. Um, and it, you know, there's some really, really great artists that I've worked with in in the past. That I I really like to talk to about just getting a really nice map done for it. But other than that, I, I think having a little bit of a a, a, a little bit of a bestiary and maybe maybe not a full campaign for for mm. the time being, but uh, at least some short adventures.
4: Uh, I'd like to now. see a campaign framework for it. So. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah, it's going to be a lot of hard work for a GM just to come up with stuff.
3: Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, this this is this is how the kind of the cadence of a of a a, a campaign would play out.
0: I, I suppose the other thing is the back of my mind, obviously, that you can, you make things advancing without stepping on any toes as far as you know the estate of Jack Vance goes. <laughs> I'm just thinking about obviously, you know, Dio is <laughs> a, yeah. I, I, I mean, I suppose it's just a, it's a bit of a, a tight rep you have to. It's a tread, isn't it, really, it, around things like it, RP that
3: Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I mean, I've put a little disclaimer in there, but yeah, uh, other, otherwise, yeah. it's. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be taken for, for what it is and a, a little bit of a, um, a, a riff on Dios. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. A little bit of a tribute to Dios um, stuff because, uh, you know... Uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't really necessarily use any of Jack Vance's, like It doesn't use Nazarian or Tersian or, yeah. you know, Kugel or anything like that, but something that's hopefully recognisable yeah. uh, in the, the Scoundrel in called tradition. the Clever.
0: Maybe yeah. a called The marvelous, or something like that. You know. You yeah. That well, that,
3: well, that's it. I mean, in in the when you're rolling up your characters, you have your little epithets. So you that's have right. the, the clever and the cunning, and yes, yeah. the marvelous.
0: I, I think there's a, a lot of a uh, lot of space for for games, or at least you know, maybe not sort of published rule sets, but sort of scenarios to be based on on music. And um, I don't know. Again, if you're familiar with the Grognard file, it's it's grog meat. Uh Hooray! Merry hey. Christmas. <laughs> we,
4: we,
0: well i recording this week after next by the time this goes out it'll be in the past and we've had a brilliant time I'm sure but anyway <laughs> this year it's it's been subtitled prog meet so there's a whole load of people i don't know if you're aware but uh essentially creating scenarios based on a lot of 70s prog albums so that's going to be <laughs> really really crazy i think Ooh. i'm playing on one based on a, on a palace album from 1984 um but uh but yeah which which dirt the dice is going to be running so that'll be, that'll be crazy <laughs> I'm,
5: uh, I'm doing uh, ironically camel nude which is, uh, <laughs> the most obscure one i could possibly find
0: <laughs> well wow. done well done <laughs> so scott for the for the future what can we expect to see from you in the future so
3: yeah there's a couple of uh, a couple of things that um Unfortunately, under NDA at the moment, but very exciting okay. things,
0: yes. Uh,
3: with a couple of a teaser uh, of great <laughs> publishers, yes. so, uh, so you, mm-hmm. you you should see those uh start to come out over the next maybe few months to a year. But <laughs> the thing at the moment is the um Secrets of the Golden Throne Kickstarter uh from Open Ended Games, so yep. again, for. Against the Dark Master. So, this is a, uh, a campaign and a setting book, kind yeah. of this Arthurian mythic thing, which is definitely my bag yeah i think
1: um,
0: it's doing very well the kickstarter isn't it as far as i know yes
3: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it funded last week uh, and i think they're just trying to get some some stretch goals going as well so mm. um but it's, it's great it should be it should be a lot of fun um so i, I contributed a bit towards uh, towards that one yeah but yeah in in other I guess for the other other games, it's very much stuff under wraps. I'm afraid
0: I can't say <laughs> uh, uh, anything at the moment. <laughs> uh, it's all right. Well, what we what we do do uh, occasionally is we do a bit of um, uh, sort of actual play. Nothing too heavy. I know yeah. it's not not everybody's thing, but yeah. So it might be that when some of those things do, like you are able to talk about them. Um, then maybe you might come back and maybe do a bit, a little bit of actual play, and then a bit of interview. Yeah. Sort of so we can, we can we can big that up as well. But uh, but yeah, no, for now, absolutely.
5: It, yeah, just just long enough for us to bugger it up.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's all this is need.
0: how you shouldn't play it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, Scott. Thanks very much for for your time. So no, with the you. Stargate, yeah. So stargazer, I'll put links in the uh, in the show notes too. Not that everyone listens to this crap anyway, but you know if they did, they, they'll find <laughs> it. Um, yeah, you but, you said
3: two million listeners. Two million. Yeah, yeah maybe. Ooh, that's, why just, I like it? that's just
0: me listening to it over and over again, different devices. <laughs> yeah. so. uh, but anyway, thanks very much for your time and. Yeah, good luck with the with the un, yet, as yet to be undisclosed projects in the future. And Thank thanks to everyone else for taking part and uh, yeah. yeah, see you soon. Thanks for listening to another exploration of my gaming vexes. If you've got any thoughts you'd like to add to what you've heard here, or a gaming vex of your own you'd like to offer up for discussion, you can contact me on Twitter, at allanthar, or we can leave a voice message. The link's on the podcast webpage on Anchor, or can be found in the show notes. Until the next time, may all your games be free of vexatiousness, and be excellent to each other, always.